Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Your host, Gregorio Leoni, will have smart discussion with experts, thought leaders, and friends on customer experience, transformation, innovation, and leadership. I hope you will enjoy the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight it's really a big, big pleasure because I have Bill Stakos together with me. Hi, Bill. How are you? Greg, it's so wonderful to be here. I truly appreciate the invite to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. For me, it's a big, big pleasure. And now that you told me that you work out also in Switzerland at a big bank and not far away from where I'm living, even more keen to discuss with you and hoping that you are coming back to Switzerland to have a sausage together and perhaps also <laughs> beer at a nice evening in summer. But before we start dreaming or all the audience starts dreaming about dinner and traveling, let's go to the topic We are speaking about customer experience, and today it's really the intersection of customer experience and employee experience. Yeah. Before we deep dive into this topic, uh, I am always asking my guests to introduce themselves. And therefore, also for you, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. So thank you for that opportunity, Greg. So um, I have been in the customer, I've been working for 25 plus years, always in financial services, or most, or I will say, I'll, there's a caveat to that, but um, um, about 20 or more of those years in customer and employee experience, uh, working in teams, being part of them, but also leading teams. Um, many years in consulting, most of those years working for very large financial organizations, Credit Suisse, why I was in uh, for three years in Zurich, um, also JP Morgan Chase, Freddie Mac most recently. And for the last 18 months or so, I've been working at a company called Medallia, which is the global leader in customer and employee experience um, uh, management. Uh, we're a SaaS-based business, and um, we work with clients all over the world. And I do, as part of my role, to be able to um, get them to not only understand the capability and the importance of, of CX, but then how to kind of move through a maturity path as well. Thank you very much. Bill, I think you forgot something. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm not like a really good at self-promotion. So forgive me, Greg. Um, I host uh, a weekly podcast called Be Customer Led. Um, we have listeners in 105 countries um, and are in our third season. It's been uh, more than any. And the reason why I don't promote it that much is it actually is, 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 um, is a great life and professional hack for me. Um, I've probably learned more than, than anybody who's come onto the show. And, um, but I hope that our listeners are also learning. So, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And the promotion is not stopping here because you will find also the link in the show notes. We are not competitors. I really love your, uh, yeah. your podcast. I love it and I'm following it and therefore super happy that you are here and you are sharing also your podcast because at the end it's important that the audience gets different views on the topics and gets different influences and therefore everybody that is contributing to the customer experience community and what we are doing. I appreciate that and I really appreciate also your job. Yeah, look, the, the, CX, the CX community has always been one where everyone wants to help each other be better. Um, I don't, there are great podcasts that I listen to, including yours, that I learn from and I, I generate ideas from. So, you know, as long as you're approaching it from a perspective of learning and growth, there's no competition, no reason to. 
Thank you very much. And I'm not asking if it was the same setup in bank in the banking industry. We stop here. I am not asking this question and we go to the next one. <laughs> no, joke aside, I think we want to learn a bit more about you. Uh, and therefore, which values drive you in life? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, um, first and foremost, it's service. You know, I grew up and I've told this story once or twice, but I, my parents um, emigrated to the United States in the late 1960s. They were small business owners, specifically restaurants and diners. That's what Greeks own uh, in the United States. It's very cliche, but that's what they did. And from a very, very young age, service, uh, and I observed my parents working, how they dealt with customers, how they dealt with employees, very much from a service mindset um, and service servant leadership perspective and that is something that is just in my DNA. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, service as a, as a value, as a core value is very important to me. And, and part of the reason why I started the podcast, frankly, is because I wanted to help more people uh, be better at their roles and their jobs. Um, number two, you know, for me, like, you know, I don't know if this is a value, if you can call this a value per se, but like l really being a learner, um, you know, <laughs> you work for doing this work for 20 years. You think you have all the answers and then you meet folks like you who've done the work, the same work, but maybe something differently. You meet folks every week and talk to them and you realize that you don't have all the answers. So a little humility and, and, and coming from a perspective of I can learn from this person and what am I doing to grow is very important to me as well. And then finally, you know, I, I would say just, you know, work hard you know, you know, do the things that you love and do them super well and, and dedicate time to really perfecting the things that you love to do. Um, people say, Oh, you'll just be good at it because you love it. I don't think that's necessarily true. Right. Um, you know, Tiger Woods loves golf. He's practices every day still. I think, you know, practicing the things that you love and you care about, uh, and investing time in those things, I think is also really important and something that I try to you know evangelize. And I think what you're saying, it's totally makes sense. And I can refer also to my background. Soccer players are uh, training, let's say, 98% of their times. And they are really playing the game only few hours uh, a week. But they are practicing every day because oh. they need to, to get to the perfection. And improving themselves every time. And every also the best players are still training because they need to improve themselves. And therefore, I can fully understand what, what you are saying. Now, without speaking about uh, mathematics, because we are speaking about intersection of customer experience and employee experience, what is exactly this intersection? So for me, it's, it's always about been about understanding the behaviors of your workforce, I don't necessarily like to call it employee experience, frankly, because you can have consultants working at your company. Um, so I really try, I've, the last year or so, I've been really trying to focus more on using the term workforce. Um, workforce doesn't flow as easily as employee experience, though. Um, but for me, it's understanding um, the behaviors that drive the best experiences. And not only for customer-facing staff, you know, your contact center agent, your banker, um, your retail store employee. Um, for me, it's also about, you know, the the finance organization, the designers, uh, the operations folks who never see a customer. And 
if they exhibit behaviors that show that they know they are accountable to the customer and the work that they're doing every day, they can tie the work that they're doing to the customer impact. That is where that intersection starts to play. So being able to encapsulate, some may call, call it culture or something. You know, I really just like, what are those behaviors um, that we want to coach, train, upskill our people on? Because we know that the end result will be a better customer experience. And by the way, if you're investing in your employees in delivering on those behaviors, um, nurturing them, being a servant to them, um, giving them the appropriate tools and training to be successful every day on behalf of the customer, whether you're in the back office or the front office. Um, I think, you know, and rewarding for the, for the right behaviors from a culture perspective. Um, I think that, that kind of symbiotic relationship starts to turn into a little bit of a flywheel where happy employees deliver better experiences internally and externally, happy customers buy more, right? That can result hopefully in sort of, more benefits back to the employee or the workforce. And there's just this great constant cycle that starts to occur and, and create an organization inside and out. And that's, you know, that's that magic that you want to be able to identify and and be able to drive. I think what you're saying, it, it totally makes sense. The game started a few minutes ago. I asked only one question, but you are really touching the extreme, extremely important topics to make yeah. it a bit more understandable also for the audience. Uh, I really like what you're saying and you did also in, in other podcasts, in other discussion, also an, an example. And it was something like, you, know, you can also improve and increase always only customer experience for for the front, also for, for people outside of the company. You have the perfect tools, the perfect app, but then you have on the other side, your workforce using 10, 15 different systems to serve the customers and struggling and perhaps customer get quicker information than than the, the, right. the employees. And, and therefore perhaps also really to make really tangible for 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 um for for the audience why is this intersection so important and why is getting more and more important look i think that the 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 sort of the integration of ex and cx is a top five business imperative for the next 10 years and you know when you know we all know what the benefits of a better employee experience is we all have seen you know quantitative measures and you know and, and research on why a great customer experience is important. I think that research is going to start to come together more. And when you do that, I mean, to, to your example is a great one, right? If I create the best, um, even omni-channel experience. So as a customer, I can go from app to web to branch or retail location. All of that is seamless. It's a wonderful journey throughout, but I get there and the retail employee is just very rude to me. You've wasted all that money, all that, all that, all that app, all the development from the website, that now becomes technical debt, right? Um, even though companies don't see it that way, it becomes technical debt. And, you know, if you're not giving your people the tools and the resources and the capabilities and the training and lifting them up and understanding, make the connection for them between the design principles that a design team has put into place and they are creating um, an in-app experience. And what does that mean? Not only for the customer in the app, but then what does that mean for the customer through a journey? Um, I think a lot of organizations are missing the book. At a previous employer, one of the things that we started to do was 
uh, and we we did this for our our, our, our sales of uh, one sales group in particular, is we started to look at um, what behaviors they were exhibiting. So we were lucky enough to be looking at um, micro. We had Microsoft. We were a Microsoft company, and we had access to Microsoft Workplace Analytics. Most Microsoft companies have access to this data. It will tell you if your employees are um, texting while they're on a phone call. It will tell you um, if they have too many meetings with one person versus you know having you know one-on-ones with all of their directs. Or it can give you uh, information on how quickly they've ramped up their network inside the company and even outside. So we started to look at all this data and said, okay, if we looked at this team, we just took one team and we, you know, we anonymized it. It wasn't done at the individual level, but we looked at the team level. If we looked at all the behaviors of this team, what, what behaviors have a direct correlation or impact on how they're engaging other employees across the firm and then how are they engaging with the customer? And it was really profound in terms of very simplistic things, basic blocking and tackling type stuff that you know, we then gave to that leader and said, well, obviously can't tell you exactly who, right? Because there was policy from an HR perspective, we couldn't get down to the individual level. But for your team specifically, encourage these behaviors. And it was really just five. And, you know, we ran a little pilot. They talked about in their team meetings, how are you approaching this? What are you doing? And we started to see a difference in the data. And ultimately that, you know, that led to just difference in data from a customer perspective as well. And, you know, that is really powerful to and, and very quantifiable to be able to show just by changing a few simple actions in someone's day-to-day, how that results not only from a, a cultural perspective, but then also from a customer perspective um, is really, really powerful stuff. And I think, you know, the technology is there to do it today, um, but uh, a lot of organizations maybe are just not ready or there yet to be able to bring the two together. I think you are touching a lot of extremely important topics. Uh, one is the experience design, it's insights, and it's culture. I am using these three words not because I find them out, but it's also a framework that you are often using mm-hmm. and relating. And the example that you share is exactly focusing on, on this topic. You, you have this framework that you often explain. Could you please quickly elaborate on that that we can then go through, through it in, in detail? Sure. Sure. So, um, and this goes back actually to the, my days in Zurich, you know, we looked at the best companies, well, from a customer experience perspective, what were the best experience companies doing well? And it came down to three things. One is they, they had a very deep understanding of who their customers are, their prospects as well, what those needs were and how those needs were evolving. Number two is they invested, they would take this information um, it doesn't see, you know, it seems like rockets, it's not rocket science, right? But they would take this information, these insights and design experiences through the journey with those, with that information at scale. And thirdly, they, they, they use this information to create a customer led culture. And those three pillars, you know, there are different sort of, um, behaviors and activities that are associated with each one of those pillars and it's it can drive the difference between your customers feeling ignored versus your customers being obsessed with the brand. And, you know, back then we even identified the exact specific behaviors and activities that organizations should be doing, including a scoring model for the business. 
Um, and, you know, and then we would work with the business. Okay. You want to be obsessed. You, know, you want your customers to be obsessed. Here are the things that we need to do to get there. And it was a great model. Um, a lot of great work uh, from the team went into that. Um, a lot of long hours, but um, unexercised really well worth it and created a bit of a roadmap for us to be able to engage the business on with as well. I think th this is extremely important. And uh, now going to these three topics, one after the other, yeah. speaking about insights, insights is really key to get this knowledge, this understanding about customer. You said uh, customer obsessed. Yeah. Um, let's start understanding the customer before you are obsessed about, about sure. the customer. How can you leverage insights really to improve this intersection between customer experience and employee experience? And yeah. perhaps also why I'm asking this question. I often uh, have discussion also with, with C-suite and they're saying, we need to do something for the customer and then please start also an initiative to, to improve the employee experience. And then we need to do something for the products. And what you are saying is this close everything together. Perhaps you could elaborate a bit on that. Yeah, sure. Um, this, so this is a, a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. And I talk a lot about this. With 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 executives, um, I was actually on the phone call on a phone call today with an executive, and you know, one, one I want to say that there's a lot of survey fatigue within companies, not just from customers, but even within companies. Um, you hear a lot of executives say, "We're just doing too many surveys," right? So when I think about insights and understanding, I don't think about sort of the twelve percent of your population that responds to a survey. I think about you know, really thinking about all the signals that you have access to, to understand your customer and understand your employees. So as an example, when you look at Medallia, only 20% of the signal capture we have is from a survey. 80% is from financial data, social media, uh, transcription from speech to text, uh, sentiment analysis, text analytics, um, you know, operational data. That's the other 80%. So when I say deep understanding and listening, I really mean a 360 degree view of your customer as well as your employee. It's a little bit trickier on the employee side. Obviously, there are you know, very, very strict regulations in country by country, frankly, obviously Switzerland being one of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. But where you can bring data together to understand it uh, is really important. And you know, the technology exists today where you can bring both those data sets together and let the AI figure it out for you, right? Like where where's where does one work and where does the other not? Um, where do they both work? Where do they both don't work? And um, I th I think that looking at the entire end-to-end uh, -end behavior, even even digital behavior, you don't have to ask a single question, right? You, you can understand digital behavior with technology today. So that's where that's where my mindset goes to when I start talking about insights and deep understanding, it's okay. Surveys are, they have their place. They're important. They're, you know, not only understanding overall relationship, but even just down to the transactional level, there's a time and place for them, but really think about how do we expand to capture all signals from our customers? How do we bring that data together in a smart way to be able to analyze that? And then look, let's look at the corresponding employee data um, and mash that up and analyze it um, in a way that helps us identify new patterns, new ideas, new behaviors that result in the business outcomes we want to drive. For example, if you are a mortgage company, you want to sell mortgages. You want you want people to submit an application. And I think 
starting from that, and this may be a little bit unorthodox for a CX leader to say, but I think you need to understand with what do we want the customer to actually do? Like, how do we make money or how do we reduce our costs or how do we improve culture? But let's just say we want the customer to fill out a mortgage application. What are, you know, what are the behaviors that lead to that from a customer perspective? What are the processes that flow into that? And then what are sort of the operational metrics that help us understand that? And then on the back end, by the way, post-mortgage, were they happy with the experience or not, right? And, you know, being able to think of that measurement framework um, or that hierarchy in that way really opens up insights in new and different ways. I think this is extremely interesting and leveraging your example related to mortgage. Um, we worked on an on a application form for uh, older type of, uh, of loans and we find out that uh, taking one question out from a form that it was not relevant or not really mandatory to ask increased the filling rate by 2%. It sounds yeah. not so much, but if you go through each question asking these questions, then it extremely uh, helped designing the experience in the way that the customer really have a frictionless process and can quickly go through that. And basically elaborating on experience design, what, what are the key elements from, from your point of view on, on experience design? So I think it comes, you know, you know, when I think about sort of experience design, I think about sort of the, the design thinking process, right? Starting with, with empathy, right? Really, really understanding who your customer is. Um, you know, at a previous employer, this is a great example and, and something that I'm really proud of the team um, at this company for doing it. I won't mention the name, but what we did was, what we did was provide, we, we connected uh, the, the CX uh, platform with uh, Jira, the workflow platform for these developers. And, you know, what we did was have persistent feedback go through these persistent teams um, because, if you go talk to a developer, hands-on keys, right? They're going to say, I don't have time to go talk to a customer. I, I don't have time for customer feedback. But they go through a two-week sprint and they talk about the customer all the time. So how are you designing and creating value for a customer if you never talk to them or if you never hear from them, right? So um, I think one is starting with empathy, having a deep understanding of what who your customer is, creating design principles to design against that keep you on that sort of North star and then having persistent feedback go through the channels, through those workflow tools. So teams can create better user stories, which leads to lower technical debt. And it also leads to ultimately better measurement against OKRs because now you have a customer lens on your OKRs, not just sort of, we, you know, we produced this widget in 60 days. Um, you know, you can, you can create innovation sprints around this insight and really bring the team together in a meaningful way. We actually trained the entire product organization, I think it was about 150 people at this place, on design thinking methodology, how to be a practitioner of design thinking. That had a profound impact on how they organized, ran their two-week sprints. Now, instead of a, a two-week sprint from a you know, agile perspective, it was a design thinking workshop. So you're prototyping, building, so, you know, trying to solution, testing, really and iterating very, very quickly. And I think a lot of organizations, if you're not like a SaaS company or like a small product company, 
um, let's take these big, you know, big banks as an example. They're now slowly starting to realize the benefits of that model and are trying to put it into place. And the, the results, once they figure it out, I think are going to be really profound. I think what, what you're saying totally makes sense. And it's also extremely linked to the culture that you have in a company. And yeah. the opportunity to train 150 employees, it costs money. But the, the leaders are not seeing the cost of training these 150 people, but they are seeing the benefits after these people are trained, what they can achieve. And you quickly and clearly explained uh, how quick you were able then also to achieve result if everybody was speaking yeah. the same language about design thinking and then also creating results. And perhaps touching a bit also the topic culture that I think it's yeah. key in every company because we are all human beings. From your point of view, what are your, let's say, most important uh, points to nurture a positive, genuine culture in a company? So I, I, I love this line around culture. I, I didn't make it up. I don't know who I can attribute it to, but I heard it somewhere. You know, culture is what you reward. And if you reward the bad behaviors, you're going to get bad behaviors or bad culture. If you reward the right behaviors, I think culture is a very personal company uh, topic. Um, not too many people like the word culture anymore. It's it's a little bit too fluffy, a little bit like customer experience on some level, right? Um um, you know, a colleague of mine, and I put this in a post not too long ago, said, oh, leaders think that CX is like sprinkles on ice cream. Culture is a little bit like that too, right? Um, I think it's about, for me, like the best cultures, at least I'll talk to the best cultures that I've worked in, you have leaders that, you know, really, they are authentic and they show up as themselves every day. They encourage their team members to do the same and they walk the walk. I just posted something about my boss today, actually on LinkedIn, amazing leader, right? She's creating a culture in her organization where openness, dialogue, communication, you know, ideas are, are rewarded. Um, and it's a fantastic thing to not only see as an employee of a team, you know, as a member of a team, um, but it's also, it's nice to be able to say, you know, have that example of what leadership can be and be able to filter that down. The thing about culture for me these days, Greg, is that in the middle, that middle management piece today is really, really suffering. And I don't think that, I don't mean to generalize across industry, but there, there really needs to be a renewed focus on that middle management Um because they're not given the tools and the resources to be successful by and large. You've got people obviously then leaving the company, right? And you have the great resignation because their direct manager is not able to support them the right way, but they're the ones responsible for delivering on objectives and these metrics and measures. Um, yes, executives are too, but it's a very different perspective. So, you know, when I think about culture, I think about top to bottom, bottom up, um, the CEO is one, one, one X thousandth of, of the culture. They're an important voice in that, obviously. Um, but I think it's about, you know, listening, encouraging ideas, encouraging fast failure, um, encouraging innovation, uh, and, and, and rewarding for those behaviors at the end of the day. 
I can only say amen. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the reality <laughs> because I have nothing to add. Uh, the only question that I still have in relation to to countries, you spoke about uh, your your not boss, your leader, uh, yeah. or the person responsible for for you. Um, do you have any other example that you can share? You would like to share about these really great cultures and companies? Yeah, I, th I think it's a you know. I think the last thing that I'll add is that the best cultures are where, you know, you it's a safe space to, to be able to have open dialogue. And some of it is, I mean, and it's not always easy, right? It's not always like an easy conversation, but, you know, sometimes in the best cultures, even the toughest conversations, you feel confident bringing those topics up. And I think that is a real sign of a culture that is really thriving where the leader of that group or whoever that is, the CEO included, has created a safe place, you know, psychological safety, call it whatever you want, where you and I can disagree as an example. Um, but because we work together, we're going to move past it or we're going to find a solution, right? And I think, I think creating an environment like that is super important. And, you know, The, the the organizations that I've seen as the most successful, not necessarily from a customer experience perspective, but just from a general uh, organizational perspective, are the ones that um, are create sort of an environment where those conversations can happen naturally and freely and without any ramification. Uh, I think this this totally makes sense because at the end, as we are uh, at home, we would like to be in the business. We would like to have discussion as we are arriving in the families. Clear, clear there are different uh, um, setups, but at the end, I think if we feel safe, comfortable, then it's it's easier to to work. Yeah. Uh, times is flying, and therefore now we quickly close our eyes. We are. 10 years older and we are still on the CX Goalkeeper podcast and I'm discussing with Bill Stekos what we are discussing about in relation to customer experience. Oh, 10 years from now? Oh boy. Um, so what is that? 2022, uh, 2032. Um, I, so I, I think about the future of CX a lot. Um, I think that we are talking about a disciplined that looks very, very different than it does today. The skill sets needed in, within the next 10 years are going to be very different than they are today. Um, I think you're going to see skills like data architecture. I think you're going to see skills like um, psych psychology engineering. I think you're going to see skills like financial engineering. Um, I think the CXO, I talk about the, the future, uh, four future archetypes of the CXO, technologist, futurist, practitioner, Uh, and data science, data architecture, data, you know, data architect. And um, I think that new technologies in 10 years, certainly let's say by 2030, wearables, um, uh, the ability of 6G, I think, you know, when it, it'll be the, the internet of everything, not the internet of things by then. Um, new technologies um, like no code, low code that will turn you and me into citizen developers. It'll be about talking, not about typing, right? And that will create these micro innovation. Um, each individual as a consumer will become their own innovation kind of center and be able to create their own experiences and hack 
uh, the experiences that are delivered to them in real time. So you have real like experience actualization. Um, the other thing that I'll add in 10 years, um, and this is something that I'm, I'm really keen on sort of understanding and doing more thinking around is this concept of omniverse. And today, look, omnichannel as a term is 20 years old in 2023 next year. Okay. And I think with the advent of things like the metaverse or just even let's just say extended reality generally that can include virtual and non-virtual worlds. I think that as consumers or as businesses, we're going to have to start thinking in the omniverse because consumers are going to be jumping out of fully virtual immersive environments. They may still want to go into a branch or a retail store. They're going to still call a contact center, maybe over the phone, not through a virtual world. Um, and they'll be bouncing in and out of these. And I think that's where like design generally and the ability to design across multiple different mediums and platforms, digital and non-digital has become even more and more important over the next couple of years. And I'm looking forward to this future and Me to too. steer and help creating this future all together. Bill, it was a big pleasure. The referee is telling me we still have three minutes for the last three questions. <laughs> and uh, and therefore, let's quickly catch up with the, with the last questions. Cool. Is, is there a book that helped you during your career or during your life that uh, you would suggest to the audience? Yeah, um, a couple actually. Uh, Joe Pine's book, The Experience Economy in 1999, literally changed. It's why I got into this work. Um, Matt Watkinson, The Grid. Had, I mean, and, and then the third one is The Wallet Allocation Rule by Luke Williams. Those three books changed my perspective on customer experience. I mean, more than any other book that I've ever read. That's and um, I go back to them a lot and reference them. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that for me is sort of the test of time, right? When you're, when you're constantly going back and rereading, but also going back to notes in the margin and saying, yeah, that's what I need. And, you know, that is, uh, those three books for me have been, uh, absolutely critical to, to, to my, to my advancement in my career, my thinking around this space. Um, and there are just three people that I admire and respect immensely. Thank you very much. And uh, what's the best way to contact you? So um, I'm really active on LinkedIn. DM me, hit me up um, through there. That's number one. Um, check out Be Customer Led on becustomerled.com. Um, but um, yeah, please, please, if you have, if you, if you're new in the in, in the CX space, DM me. I mentor a lot of different people, um, uh, especially folks who are just breaking into into customer employee experience, and um, you know, happy to do it. So I, I really want everyone who's doing this work to be uh, a great success. So thank you very much. And I add, and please subscribe to the podcast of Bill, Be Customer Led, because it's really, really interesting. Post it podcast, go there, subscribe, and then come back because now we're coming to the last question. Yeah. Is Bill, Bill's golden nugget, it's something that we discussed or something new that you would leave to the audience. Um, the one thing that I will leave for the audience, we talked a little bit about on the show, Greg, you know, think beyond the survey. Um, too many organizations are in this survey break fix kind of mentality and, um, think about what other data or sources or, or customer signals you can access to really round out your understanding of the customer. I, for me, that is the single biggest thing that is holding back our discipline today. And I, I look, I don't think the survey will ever go away. Who knows in 20 years, maybe it will, but 
um, or 30, but like that to me is, is this very survey driven mentality is really holding our discipline back. So, you know, start exploring where you have other signals from your customers, how to bring that data together uh, and work with your, you know, work with the teams internally to be able to do that, partner with them. Thank you very much, Bill. This is the perfect conclusion because in 10 years, you will come back to this show to discuss about the Omniverse. And in 20 years or 30 years, you are coming back to discuss what we are doing because we don't have any service <laughs> anymore. <laughs> the only thing that I can say is thank you very much. It was really a great pleasure to, to have you on this show. Greg, it was, it, was, it was my honor. Thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure. And like, I love, I love meeting people. You and I, you and I have exchanged a little bit over the, over the last year, but uh, it's an honor being on the show and, and just talking about this stuff with other CX leaders like you. I really do enjoy it. Thank you very much. Please, Bill, stay with me and to the audience. Thank you very much for your time. We really like and we really enjoy your feedback. I'm not sending you a, a survey, but please let us know <laughs> your feedback to Bill or to or, or direct to me and happy to share that with Bill. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it. Share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business. We are in a human-to-human -human environment. Thank you.